Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. The following is a 1500 ESPN Twin Cities production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down, then get a touchdown. Rock em, suck em. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, or as some might call it right now, uh, the the belly of the beast. I'm ESPN Vikings reporter Ben Gessling here with 1500ESPN.com's Matthew Collar. We are at Winter Park uh, processing what's been a, a bit of a busy day here. Adrian Peterson having surgery to repair a torn meniscus. Uh, tomorrow, and the Vikings also announced uh, before telling us exactly what the plan would be with Adrian Peterson that Matt Khalil will go on IR with the hip injury that has been bothering him since the end of the preseason, at which point he said, I'm just resting up some little things. Apparently it was more than that, and uh, apparently we will not see him the rest of the year. So the Vikings are now down since August 30th. Their quarterback, their franchise running back, and their left tackle. Other than that, Matthew... How was the play? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But two and zero still yep, somehow with all those problems. Sole possession of first place in the I, NFC North. I think clearly Matt Khalil was playing through that injury, and it had to have affected him. If yes. you just look at the way that he's played over these first two weeks, I know that people weren't entirely pleased with how he's played even the last couple of seasons. But these first few weeks were probably the lowest, right? I mean, he really struggled. The whole offensive line really struggled, but. It wasn't a, a big surprise to me that that injury turned out to be more than maybe he had indicated at first. Also, he missed four out of five days of practice last week. And actually, when he was out at practice Friday, I was surprised to see him there because I had gone under the assumption that if he had missed four of them, that it was unlikely for him to play. So he's gone. And then, as you mentioned, the Adrian Peterson news 
three to four months is how long it sounds like uh, it's likely for him to be out. So now you turn to Jarek McKinnon, you turn to Matt Asiata, and Ronnie Hillman, who joined us today as well. On on some days, this would be the biggest news that they signed another running back, but uh, today that gets to the bottom of the pile. So now we ask ourselves, what is the impact of these two injuries? And I think you and I differ probably a little bit on this. Well, I almost think... Well, we'll talk about Khalil later. I was going to start with Khalil, but we won't bury the lead here. Um, I think uh, Andrew Kramer walking by, Purple Podcast alum Andrew Kramer. Uh, now he's out the door. So thanks, Andrew. Uh, I would say I mean, Peterson, I know everybody's sort of downplaying it. I know everybody's saying, oh, well, he hasn't been that good the first two games. I don't think you have to look any further than the, the touchdown passes or the, the long throws Sam Bradford had on Sunday night to see the effect of Adrian Peterson even when he's not on the field or even when he's not producing um, like he has in the past. So um, people are going to downplay it, and I get that. You try to minimize it and say, okay, this isn't going to be that big of a deal. They'll be fine. I I don't know. I, I think you go back to 2014. I you know The first game of that season, Cordero Patterson was this great weapon. It was like, whoa, look, he's building on what he did as a rookie, and it's going to be even better. And then after that, it was kind of gone. I mean, part of that was because he didn't really get right what the team was trying to get him to do. But there was also this element now of people that can game plan for you. Mm -hmm. People are going to game plan for Sam Bradford. They're going to game plan for Stephon Diggs. So will that affect those guys? You know, We'll see in time. But I don't think it's a good thing to take Adrian Peterson away simply because of what he still commands as far as the defense's attention. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a good thing to take a Hall of Fame running back and one of the greatest of all time off the field. I would say, though, that it might be able to change the offense in some good ways. Yeah, I will give you that. And yes. I'm thinking about Jarek McKinnon here. Yep. Because yep. Jarek McKinnon, I mean, if we were using some hockey terms, we might say he's a two-way player. I mean, he can... sure run out of the backfield and he's quick and he averages over his career almost five yards a carry and he is also a good wide receiver too and out of the backfield if you're talking about a guy who can catch the ball and make big plays which adrian peterson cannot do right in the in the receiving game right. i think that helps sam bradford even though he, it's going to be different from how teams are game planning bradford last year one of the things he was most effective at was throwing the ball to his running backs right Right. yeah Yeah, exactly which I think Jarek McKinnon will help significantly in you know this whole thing is going to be very interesting because in some ways we're back where we were two years ago I mean it was it was the Wednesday before week three that the Vikings put Adrian Peterson on the now famous commissioner's exempt list I think that's what it was called Hmm. tried to block that term out of my memory after covering that whole thing that year Uh, but it was at the same point that year where they knew obviously for very different reasons that they were not going to have Adrian Peterson the rest of the year. And they had to, to shift the offense. They, they went into more of the shotgun stuff that Teddy Bridgewater seemed to prefer. They were shotgun probably about 60, 65% of the time they could run the ball out of that. You know, they could do different things with Jarek McKinnon that they, they weren't doing as much with Adrian Peterson. And, and you kind of said, okay, when Adrian Peterson does come back, how much is this offense going to look like what it resembled when he was here? Then he comes back and they sort of, you know, obviously go back to the things he does well and, and kind of have this push and pull between him and Teddy Bridgewater. And, and you know, we saw them put him in the shotgun more Sunday night. But, yeah, you do wonder a little bit now if they're going to shift things to here's what we would like to be doing if we had a running back that was a little more versatile and able to do it 
That part, I think, will be interesting, but I do think the effect of Peterson not being there is going to hurt them. Yeah, one of the things, though, that I think of with Adrian Peterson is that when you have Adrian Peterson, you feel obligated to use him as a major part yes, of your offense. Yes, that is true. And you know that if you don't, that it's going to be a problem from Adrian Peterson because he is yes, the superstar. He's got the huge money. The fans want to see him get the ball. The media is always going to be asking about it if he doesn't get 15 to 20 carries per game. And now you have two guys that essentially are egoless in Matt Asiata and Jarek McKinnon. We'll see what kind of role Ronnie Hillman can also play in this. But now you can use those guys however you want to use them. If you're just using Matt Asiata down by the goal line, he's going to be fine with that, yep. right? It's yep. you're not going to have two guys who are, who are right who are begging for the ball. He also had 44 catches that year. Too, yeah, he, so, did. he did. So he can catch the ball to the backfield too. There are some positives that would come out of it, and I might even argue that what you lose there with defense is game planning, you gain in those other areas. What it always comes back to for me, this conversation about Peterson, is how good do you think Sam Bradford is? Yeah. Because if Sam Bradford is what he was the other night, and I don't expect 121 rating every single game from Bradford, but some of the throws that he made to Stephon Diggs, the touchdown to Kyle Rudolph, yeah. that is top-end quarterback play. And if he's even in a percentage of that throughout this season, then your offense can transition from being focused mostly on that running back yeah. to throwing the ball even down the field like he did pretty consistently the other night. Yeah, how good is Sam Bradford and how good are their receivers? I mean, you, you see Stephon Diggs turning into a guy that looks like he's going to be quite a weapon for this offense, assuming he can still do it when people start game planning to take him away, which is absolutely going to happen now. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, Charles Johnson hasn't been terribly impressive so far. Does Laquan Treadwell get a, a bigger role here at some point? I mean, all of that kind of stuff is going to become a bigger issue now because you have to be able to be productive in other ways when you're not getting probably as much single coverage over the top. At the same time, maybe it's easier to run the ball. I mean, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how this shakes out, and I'm not sure that going to Carolina is going to be I, I would not – if I was a Vikings fan, I would not do this. I would not, if they go down there and lose Sunday, say, well, see, this is going to be a disaster. Everything's going to be terrible. No, you're, you're playing a pretty good team that hasn't lost at home since November of 2014. Going down there and losing Sunday is not going to be the death knell of this team. But over the next couple of months, there could be ways that they can still be productive. And I, you know, I, I still maintain that this is going to hurt them more than it's going to help them. But – it also does allow them to start that process of saying, okay, how can we be effective on offense in a post-Adrian Peterson world, which is kind of what we thought they were asking themselves a couple of years ago, and, and they may be closer to having to do that now for, for the obvious reasons and for reasons we'll probably discuss related to his contract. Yeah, oh yeah, he was set to make, was $17 million? $18 million cap million. hit next year with yeah. a $6 million roster bonus due on the third day of the league year. So that really screams it might be Jarek McKinnon's world going forward, right? It certainly screams that they're going to have to make a decision. And I I see it going one of a couple of ways. When they redid that contract, that 2017 figure always said to me, this is made so that we have to sit here and revisit this. We Mm -hmm. have to make a decision, both for the team and for Adrian Peterson, in the future, we kind of just have to sit here and say, okay, what does the future of this relationship look like? Because there's this $6 million bomb about to go off, so yeah. to speak. Um, that's probably a over-dramatization over, uh, dramatization of the facts here. But 
You know, we, that's kind of what we do. In no, but, but it does but, put a drop dead date. on yes, it. Like you have yes. to make the decision by this date and that's it. And to me, the especially if Sam Bradford is decent or even, you know, they were looking at transitioning over to being more of a passing offense yeah. with Teddy Bridgewater anyway. Yeah. Now, you don't get that year to see how good he was going to be with that, but you do get a year to see if maybe Sam Bradford's your quarterback going forward. Yeah. Now, I mean, I don't <laughs> want to get ahead of ourselves because of one good game here, but it he's starting to string together a lot more than one good game. I mean, there were last year with Philadelphia, yeah. a yeah, team that was, year, was pretty good. a team that was a disaster defensively and didn't win a ton of games and also couldn't run the ball at least the second half and maybe even a little more last year, he was a very good starting quarterback in the league. If we were sitting here talking to the August 29th versions of ourselves, telling them what was going to happen in the next three weeks, they would have slapped us silly. They <laughs> yeah. would have thought, you guys are nuts. There's no way in the world we're going to be sitting here on September 21st with no Teddy Bridgewater, no Adrian Peterson, no Matt Khalil. I mean, talking about Sam Bradford alone, I never yeah. saw that coming. Yeah, and you could give up a first-round pick for Sam Bradford. Yeah, I mean, if we were just talking about taking another team's starting quarterback, <laughs> yeah. that is something that I just can't think of it ever happening yeah. before where someone just said, oh, I'll give you a first-rounder for your starting quarterback. Like, that's a Madden 17 trade it where is. only the AI <laughs> yeah, would right. allow you to do that. But you're then right. Carson Wentz is 2-0, and too, so I guess maybe Philadelphia had uh, some idea of how good he was going to be. Andy Carlson here for the Purple for the Win podcast, dedicated to the pain and pleasure that is the Minnesota Vikings and baby. 1,500 ESPN has seen it fit to bring us into the sphere this year, so we'll be doing three shows a week, talking Vikings, have a car wash of fantastic guests, talk at length about the backup tight end situation, and remember, everyone's middle name is Jerome. It's going to be a lot of fun, or terrible. It'll be one of the two. Get it on the 1500 and Podcast One app or on iTunes or at purpleftw.com. Let's go. You know, you brought up Stefan Diggs, and what I keep coming back to and trying to project in my mind how good this offense could be, sans Adrian Peterson, is the, you, you, you mentioned, you said it with the push and the pull. Like you, you take from one spot, but it opens up another spot. Now, the if you're Carolina, you're going, okay. Stefan Diggs. This is the guy we're we're all yep. in yep. and stopping on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And now I think he's got a lot of parts to his game that are tough to stop, no matter if you game plan for him specifically or just in general. But that also opens up the potential for them to actually have a running game. Yeah. Because these first couple of weeks, it's been all about eight men in the box. It's been all about focusing on Adrian Peterson. And because the offensive line hasn't stepped up, Tennessee and Green Bay were able to completely shut down their running game. So now with Asiata and McKinnon, if you get something out of that, that might help the offense be effective in that way, even if Stephon Diggs doesn't put up 182 yards. Yeah, and, and we talk about the offensive line, and that's probably a good jumping-off point for the next piece of this here is Matt Khalil gone for the year because of that hip injury. I mean, that's – I, to me, that in some ways, and I know this is probably where we disagree a little bit, Matt Khalil has not been very good in recent years. I, he had a decent year last year when he was healthy. The knee injuries were a big problem two years ago, and that was probably rock bottom for Matt Khalil a couple of years ago when he had that game against Green Bay where he was penalized three times and he, that fan was heckling him and he knocked the fan's hat off on his way out of the stadium. That was probably rock bottom and they actually played the Panthers the next week after playing the Packers so some odd mm, a little weird there odd uh kismet there I guess um in a, in a number of ways we've had that today with week three Adrian Peterson gone just like 2014 at any rate 
that with him being gone, I think you know people people like to knock on Matt Khalil, and I I get it. I mean, he has not lived up to being the number four pick in the draft, and now I would say the odds of him being back here next year, I would say, are less than the odds of them looking for a new left tackle. I do think that that is going to be a, a difficult loss because of how much less depth they have on the line than they thought they were going to have at the beginning of the year. And because now your left tackle is the guy that didn't fare so well at right tackle last year. Now you got TJ Clemmings over on the left side dealing with every team's best pass rusher and hoping that he can survive. Yeah, and he said today that uh, in college his entire life, basically, he had played right tackle. Yep. And now he's having to make that transition yep. to the other side, which you know can't be easy, especially for a guy who didn't have a very good year last year. Yes. I don't know what to expect from him, though, because he is he was really young last year. Yeah. And I think he's only played the position for two years before coming to the NFL, too. I mean, don't forget that. He was a defensive guy the first two years of college. Right. And, and I think offensive line is a position where you see players get significantly better. I mean, yeah. I think there are some in the league that you come in. Maybe a running back is this way. Like, there isn't much progress. If you're good, you're good right away, and you're just a good player. Right. But I think offensive line is one where you'll see rookies often struggle, and then as they continue to improve, they can either become a solid player or maybe even a star. Now, that's not. I'm not trying to convince you that T.J. Clemmings is going to be a star left yeah. tackle in the league, just that I don't know what to expect from him yet. But I do know this. In terms of replacing the production that you got from Khalil in the first two weeks, I mean, almost anybody who can play tackle in the league could be as good as he was in those two weeks, and, and albeit playing through an injury. Yeah. But in terms of, depending on how you want to look at it, if you just watch the film and how often his man is pressuring the quarterback, or if you like the pro football focus rankings, or what, whichever way you look at it, it was not good over on that side. Yeah. So if it's even a little bit better than that, you can improve. I don't know if it can be. Do we know be. that it'll be better, though? I, I don't know that. No, yeah. I don't. I think, I mean, it's a huge, huge, huge question mark, yeah. and one of the biggest things that we'll be watching Sunday, and pretty much every game going forward, sure. now that it'll be the uh, T.J. Clemmings watch every single week. The thing I'll be curious to see, they gave T.J. Clemmings a lot of help last year on the right side. They, I mean, to the point where Kyle Rudolph turned into probably more of a blocker than he wanted to be last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had that formation a lot of times that they would use. They would have two or three tight ends, two TJ Clemmings right, well, for two reasons. I mean, number one, you typically run the ball to that side. Number two, they did not want speed rushers being able to come around his outside shoulder. So they basically made it so that those rushers would have to outflank a couple more guys on the end of that line. I will be very curious to see how much help he gets from a tight end or running back on Sunday, and you have two guys in, in Matt Asiata and Jarek McKinnon who have been better pass protectors than Adrian Peterson has. Maybe you do a little bit more of that now, but I'm going to be very curious to see how much in a hostile environment against a team that went to the Super Bowl last year and hasn't lost at home in a long time, what they do to, to help him out. I would expect that they're going to do some of that. And the other thing that will help him is Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford was, was pretty good at getting rid of the ball quickly on Sunday night, I think he was third or fourth in the league in terms of time before throwing the ball. Still got pressured a lot. Still got pressured probably too much. But 
a guy that has a quick trigger probably helps when you have a new left tackle. Yeah, and I, I also think that Bradford is really good at just his release, you know, yep. how fast he throws. You could see when you even watch him practice why he was the number one overall pick. Yeah, he's got, I mean, some, the, he's got an arm. He's got the zip, but he's also got, like, it doesn't take much to do it. You watch Sean Hill, and the ball kind of comes down a little Tebow style Very there, laborious. And, right. I mean, it looks like it's taking a lot of effort that he could, you know, strain a rib cage or yep. something throwing the ball. And then it doesn't come anywhere close to the velocity yeah. of Sam Bradford. You got the guys in ba- the pitchers in baseball that are like, oh, he, he's throwing, he's so smooth. And then you look at the gun, it's 97. And then you got the guy that's, you know, what they call a max effort guy. Oh, yes. And yes. it tops out at 88. Sean Hill's a max effort guy. He certainly is. So <laughs> by comparison, but I think that really helps in terms yeah. of getting rid of the ball quickly for Sam Bradford. And it's clear, I mean, last year, now, some of this might be escaping the pocket and things like that, but Teddy Bridgewater took a long time to throw the ball. There was the seven-step drops, and it looks like there's been a change there of yeah. just Norv Turner and how he wants his quarterback to, to release the ball quickly and, and get it out because Bradford, like you mentioned, one of the best in the league, and even Sean Hill the week before. If it wasn't there, he just pretty much threw it away or threw it into the dirt yep. or ran for nine yards the one time and then had to be taped up on the <laughs> sideline. Sorry, Sean Hill. This isn't about you. But uh, I think Bradford, he did it well in Philadelphia, and he can do it well here again. And that's one of the ways that they can mitigate some of that pass rush if T.J. Yeah. Clemmings does not play well. But, I mean, of course it should be a huge concern. I'm not telling you that it's okay to lose your starting left tackle and put in a guy who really struggled last year. I just wonder if they'll be able to work around it or if we might see Clemmings improve. Yeah, I mean that I I think he will be better than he was last year. I, I think you know we saw enough in the in the preseason and, and in training camp certainly to say he's made some strides. I just think when you're dealing with guys now, you're dealing with right ends, you're dealing with pass rushers coming off your blind side, off your quarterback's blind side, it's a different deal. I mean, I, I just I think you're gonna have to step up in class a little bit because your opponents are gonna step up in class, and it's gonna be very interesting to see. How that plays out and how they handle it. I mean, you think about it. Norv Turner in his three years here now really has not ever been able to run the quote-unquote Norv Turner offense. Mm-hmm. And you could argue that that probably needed to get updated a little bit anyway. But year one, Adrian Peterson's gone, and you lose your starting quarterback in Matt Castle in week three. When when he went down and broke his foot, Teddy Bridgewater becomes the guy. Okay, you come back into the next season thinking you're going to be able to mesh Teddy Bridgewater and Adrian Peterson. That didn't really work. Your offensive line's not very good. This year, it's just all gone to pot. So uh, it, is, it is going to be very interesting to see, and that's part of the job. Obviously, he's, he's highly paid and, and well thought of for a reason that you have to be able to adapt to some of these things and, and roll with changes as they come, especially in a league where you have as many injuries as you do. But it is sort of interesting to think about how you know when he came in you thought this offense was going to be one thing and it really has never gotten a chance to be anything consistently because of all the changes that have gone on many of them revolving around Adrian Peterson yeah you mentioned it and too that he probably he probably would have thought the same thing we would have thought if Teddy yes. Bridgewater and Adrian Peterson were out not only would you not be 2-0 and but you'd be looking at all right so who's in the draft next year yeah uh, as opposed to feeling like you could still easily be a playoff team but you know you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to get back in touch on which was Kyle Rudolph in these mm-hmm. first couple of weeks He's been a main target, and the catch in the end zone the other night, throw and catch, both excellent. And I, I would not want to see his receiving ability sacrificed 
for having to chip guys or having to fill in, yeah. having to offer a lot of help there, especially because what they've gotten out of the wide receiver position is a little bit of Adam Thielen, a lot of Stephon Diggs, and nothing else. Yeah. And then it's been Rudolph, and that's it. And those have been the only three weapons that any quarterback has been allowed to use so far, which does bring up the question, will you see Laquan Treadwell for more than two snaps yeah. potentially? And I think not only – like, do you want to see him because he's a first-round pick? He might be. He might be needed here if Johnson can't become some part of the offense, and then they have to sacrifice Rudolph to help him block it. Yeah, I mean, I I think with Rudolph, it's going to be interesting to see what they do because he is a bigger part of the offense as a receiver than he was last year. Because when Teddy Bridgewater took over the job, Rudolph was hurt, so they didn't have that time to to build any chemistry. And late last season is when it finally kind of started. Um, you know, now he's a bigger part of it. Now he's got a bigger role. Do you kind of go back to that, having to help him chip? I'm sure he'll have to do some of it, but you know, you could see a lot more two tight end sets. You could see Red Ellison over there. You could see Michael Pruitt over there, David Morgan. And there are enough guys that you can use in that role. It's just, I mean, every time you do that, there's a trade off. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you, you can't spread things out as much, and you can't have as many options for Sam Bradford. So, uh, it is going to be interesting to see how all of that plays out on Sunday in Carolina, which was already looking like a fairly tough test for them. Uh, Mike Zimmer probably likes the fact, though, that they're going to be doubted and they're going to be picked against by everybody, certainly this week and probably in a lot of weeks to come. I mean, really, at this point, when they're 2-0, and you I mean, if you play 500 the rest of the way, you're 9-7, and which... You know, I think is certainly doable. I mean, if you go eight and six the rest of the way, you're ten and six. So, I mean, do we think that's still a possibility for this team to get to that point? I definitely think that's still a possibility. I mean, not just because I have sort of buy into Sam Bradford and his raw skill more than his just counting statistics yeah. for his career so far. And when they traded for him, I thought this okay. You've got Stephon Diggs and a running game. So much for that. But <laughs> but in a running game that this would be the year that he shows some of the things that got him drafted number one overall. And it's not that he's never had any success before, but maybe more consistently than he did uh, in Philadelphia. And then, of course, with the Rams. But I'm thinking that Sam Bradford's best friend here is probably uh, Lindell Joseph. I mean, it's probably the defense, right? Yeah. I, I mean, look, Everson Griffin and Mm -hmm. Harrison Smith and the stars that exist on that defensive side of the ball, because I think there will be days where he doesn't have it and does not play like he did the other night and is struggling to move in the offense. And he won't have a running game that's going to bail him out and run 30 times and control the ball that maybe against Cam Newton, this defense will have some problems. But I think on a week to week basis, they will be one of the better ones in the NFL and that is something, another thing that Sam Bradford has never had. He's never yeah, had that's true. a stupendous number one wide receiver, and he's never had a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball that could win him some games when he isn't perfect. Yeah, the Rams defense that he had wasn't the Rams defense of now where they right. have all of those great uh, pass rushers that they they certainly have now on the, on the front of the uh, defensive line. So, yeah, I mean, this is a defense that's going to have to step up now, and I think they will – relish that challenge in some ways i mean the the defense has become the identity of this team in a lot of ways and and you'll certainly see that continue i think as we go forward i but yeah i do think from a you know esoteric perspective i guess um mike zimmer is going to use this as fuel i mean i asked him about it today how much he enjoys proving people wrong and and he said it I, i didn't think a lot of people thought we could beat the packers this week it's like well 
a lot of people picked you to win the game. Not everybody did, but you know, in his, he likes to kind of use those things and and twist them and manipulate them in a way that fits his liking, and that's obviously his prerogative to do it with his players. And if they buy into it, you know, more power to him. I do think that there is going to be some of that approach from him, and I wouldn't be surprised if they steal a game or two because of it, and and because of what their defense is capable of, and. You know, it certainly is going to be interesting to see how that all plays out on Sunday. What uh, what do you got for a score Sunday? Give me a prediction. Hmm. It's a with this one, I think it's especially hard because of Cam Newton is, if not the best quarterback in the league, then yeah. he's right up there. Certainly uh, one of the most dangerous. Yeah, I mean, and the way that Aaron Rodgers has played in his last, I don't know, I want to say a year and two games, yeah. he's dropped down a little bit on yep. that list. Yep. And Newton might be number one in the entire NFL. So if Newton is number one, best quarterback in the league, and you have maybe the best defensive line. I mean, this has got to yeah, be one of the yeah, best defensive lines. They are I, very good. I did a piece on it today when I went back and watched the film against the Packers, and they were just all over the place. Stops on fourth and one and pressure and using f- five, six different guys yeah. to throw in there at all different times, pass rushing and, and run stopping. So – you know, when you're talking about the best quarterback versus one of the best defenses, it's hard for me to go, you know, 31-24. You want to think that it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. So I, I would I would say something in the range of 21-17 yeah. or something more in that in that area. I, I had uh, made a pick of 23-20 Panthers earlier this week. Um, with no Peterson, I, I don't know that it changes a whole lot. I mean, maybe a field goal here or there. I, I still think this is a tough one for the Vikings to win. I still think going down to Carolina is a pretty tough assignment. I mean, this was the one early in the season that I, or when the schedule came out that I think we all said, boy, if they get a, if they get out of there with a win, that's going to be an awfully impressive statement. And I still think that's true. If, if they win this game and get to 3-0, and you're sitting there saying, okay, these guys are able to find a different way to do it, and it says a lot about what they have on defense. It says a lot about what Mike Zimmer is able to do, what the rest of the coaching staff is able to do. If that happens, they deserve a lot of credit. I just – it's hard to go that, go in there and pick them. So I will uh, I will stick with my prediction of, of, of a close Carolina victory. It'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out on Sunday as the, uh, as the Vikings go down there and, and try to remain – one of the two undefeated teams in the NFC before they meet the other one. Actually, one of three. The before. Giants, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's three, I guess. The Giants, the Eagles, the Vikings. The Giants and the Vikings, of course, meet on Monday Night Football in a week, and that could be a matchup of 3-0 and teams uh, gracing the TV screens uh, tuned to my employer's network. What a schedule to start out for this <laughs> team, right? I mean, yeah, you had – Texans after that. Right. Tennessee that a lot of people were thinking Mariota could take the next step. Yep. And you get out of there with a little bit of fumble luck and Mariota yep, making yep. a big young guy mistake. Yep. And then you've got the Packers that a lot of people are picking for the Super Bowl. And, and here you have Carolina with the best quarterback in the league and still a great defense. And then maybe a, a very improved Giants team. The way that Eli Manning played really has played since Odell Beckham has shown yeah. up. He's been, I think, a top-end quarterback since he's had a, a true number one wide receiver. You couldn't start out much harder. I think if you end up, even if you lose these next two games, if you ended up two and two coming out of that schedule, yeah. you would feel like, all right, we're still we're still right, kind of where we could be okay. Yeah, and, and you, if you come out three and one, you should feel like 
amazing. Sure. Considering all that they've gone through. Yeah, and then you get Houston at home before the bye, which I think is a, a sneaky, tough matchup, and I think probably is more so now, uh, especially with some of the pass rush that they're going to face in that game with, mm-hmm. with J.J. Watt and company. And But, yeah, if you and get Jadavion to – And Clowney, who looks yes. like a number one overall pick. Yes. I mean, if you get to the bye week – three and two if you win i mean even one mm-hmm. of the next three that puts you at three and two i mean this is really i mean people say that you make too much out of how a team starts in the nfl but you really do set yourself up in a lot better position if you can stack a couple of wins early i mean it, it's something where you sit here and look at it and say okay if they if they go 500 they're nine and seven and if they're a game you know better than that they're 10 and six i mean it, you know it it certainly puts you in a spot where you're able to withstand things a little bit more because you have those two wins. And uh, if they are able to get to win one of these next two and or even get into the bye week three and two, the schedule gets a little softer after that. It does, yeah. I mean, without having played the Bears at all, yep. if you get to three and two. Lions like, twice in November. Lions twice, yeah. The Bears, to me, the other night watching them, yeah. I mean, that team looks like they need to lose – all the rest of the games yep. and try to draft a quarterback yep. at the very top yep. and just that reset that entire yep. organization because they're not, they don't look competitive at all and they haven't been in such a long time, which benefits the Vikings. You get to three and two and you and you know you've got two games you should absolutely win the rest of the yep. way. You feel like you're in the driver's seat for potentially winning the division. Yeah, yeah, I think that's certainly the case, and especially if the Packers continue to kind of struggle to find their identity. I mean, I, I think that's going to be something. You to, think they're going to find it? Watch. I, I don't. I, I think something's off there. I think something is rotten in the state of, well, Wisconsin. I guess. Can I give you a little Seinfeld? Mark, what's the deal with Aaron Rodgers? Do you have a Do you have a theory about why mm. his yards per attempt has dropped so far? And is it not adjusting? Because I, I yeah, mean, I think that's I, a lot of it. It doesn't look like they've changed anything in the last couple of years with Rodgers going to the line and doing all of his checks and everything else. And it looks like on the other side, I was going back and watching the film, that their opponents are doing checks on the defensive side as he is trying to just read the defense. And I think a lot of that has changed over the last couple of years in the defensive approach. Well, a lot of it, I think, is people have figured out how to stop them. I mean, the, the book on them is you play your safeties over the top, you take away all the deep stuff, you throw off his timing with press coverage a little bit on his receivers. You get the corners in, in his receiver spaces, and then you play the, the safeties over the top, and he has to sit there and hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, dance around, try to make a play. Then you either check down or hopefully something opens downfield for him. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is their personnel is not the same. I mean, you think about it. Their receivers in 2011 when they went 15-1 and one and threw the ball all over everybody, Greg Jennings – Donald Driver, James Jones, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb. Donald Driver was like their fifth receiver. And they had Jermichael Finley. I mean, there was no way in the world you were going to be able to cover all those guys that you would have enough depth to cover all those guys when they would put five receivers on the field or put four out there with with Finley as well. I mean, the the matchups were just tough for anybody to deal with. And and the NFL has done what the NFL does, and that depth gets bled out as, as guys get older or guys look for bigger contracts, mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be. Jermichael Finley gets hurt. So I mean, the personnel is not the same, and I think they are – I mean, you, the, the gripe you always hear with them that scouts talk about is they don't scheme anything. It's just you sit back there and hope Rodgers is Rodgers and hope your receivers can win one-on-one matchups. And when they don't have a great number one receiver right now, when Jordy Nelson's still trying to get healthy – 
those things are not the same, and, and the offensive line has not played very well. Rodgers doesn't look as accurate. It's just a lot of things that they have typically counted on are not there, and I think that is going to continue to be a struggle. So it, it the Vikings injuries, I guess if there's a good time for them to come, I suppose it is now when the rest of the division is sort of in flux, but at the same time you also felt like this was going to be an opportunity to do something pretty special and um, – you know, and take advantage of the rest of the division. Maybe it still is, but it certainly gets a lot more difficult to do that. One thing to close here, uh, looking a little further down the road with Adrian Peterson, mm-hmm. are we surprised at all that he didn't go for the short-term fix here, that he didn't do the, you know, trim off the cartilage and, and or take out my meniscus and I'm back in four weeks? I mean, does, it, does that seem like an odd decision at all? Yeah, I want to say yes and no. The reason I would say yes is that, this team is good. Yeah. It's a good defense. Yes. And after the way the quarterback just played, you might look at that and go, we can win the division. Yeah. And we should be right there. Who else in the NFC is just towering over us? Right. Well, maybe this this week's opponent, Carolina. But they're one and one. And so, like, all right, so who else is it that you can't beat in the NFC? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Probably not anybody, right? That's why it's a little surprising. Why it's not a little surprising is – if he is thinking what we're thinking about next year and the possibility of the Vikings parting ways, yeah. then he's got to be focused on, all right, where's my next gig coming? Yeah. Because yeah. someone else will give him a job just as LaDainian Tomlinson got a job after right. he was done. Uh, and, and, you know, Curtis Martin kind of reinvented himself mm-hmm. a little bit with the mm-hmm. New York Jets after a long career with the New England Patriots. So if he's looking at some of those older running backs who've become yeah. very effective later – he doesn't want to say, okay, well, I'm going to throw it all on the line for this year. Sure. No, I want to make sure that I have three, four more years. Yeah, yeah, and, and that is one of the things that he does think. I mean, and, and as well as I've gotten to know him, one of the things that he often talks about is that I think I can be the guy that beats the curve. Mm-hmm. I can play until I'm 35, 36 Kind of already has. Old. He has. I mean, there's no question. When you're doing what you did at 30 last year, you've beaten the curve already, but you know, injuries are the great equalizer in that. And that's what he's going to be dealing with now. I was surprised in the sense that, I mean, like you, I thought, okay, part of his thinking is going to be, I want to get back and play with this team now. But knowing how he thinks, I think that also comes into it, is that he's going to say, I can play four or five more years yet. And this, (coughs) excuse me, this will set me up to do that. The other thing to think about here, there's a couple things. Number one, it's my understanding that if you don't get the full repair, you're obviously at more risk of another injury. Right. You're also at risk of arthritis and all sorts of other degenerative things that come later down the line. And, you know, as much as we sit here and analyze these things from a football perspective, these guys still do have post-career lives to consider and quality of life to consider. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is that element of it, and you can't begrudge anybody for thinking of that. I'm not saying that that is eventually what drove this decision, but it is a consideration. There's also Adam Schefter has reported that there was damage to his lateral collateral collateral ligament. Man, that's hard to say. LCL. Yeah, LCL. Uh, Ian Rappaport also reporting that the Vikings denying it. So what becomes of that, we'll see. I mean, if that was also involved, then you kind of say, okay, that makes sense why he went with a longer repair. The other factor here, and I'll, I'll mention this real quickly, and we'll get into the, the contract part of this later, the Vikings cannot cut him if he has not passed a physical mm. without some kind of an injury settlement. 
I think if you get to a point where his rehab is five, six months down the road, that puts us right at next March where they have to make that decision. This is all obviously a long way off, but that might be part of the thinking too is that if I, if I do this short fix and if I'm back in December and it doesn't look like I'm quite right, like I'm not running quite the same way, they say, okay, it doesn't seem like you quite have it. You know, we're going to cut you unless you want to restructure your contract to take a deep discount. So there may be a little bit of gamesmanship in here. I mean, I was talking to a couple of people today that were kind of giving me some insight on the business side of things. Mm-hmm. That could be something to keep an eye on is how that all plays out. I certainly think we are headed towards a decision next March on that contract as the Vikings have to deal with that by the third day of the league year. That's all going to be very interesting to watch. But that could be a sneaky little piece of this whole thing. Yeah, what was going through my mind a little bit with the full repair was kind of on the other side of things of, you know, three to four months, if that's what this takes. I was sort of using my fingers and counting October, November, December, you know, I mean, like, could he be back for the playoffs? Yeah, certainly could be. Even if he gets the full repair, which might go through his mind all right, well, this team is probably good enough to compete and potentially win their division without me, and I can come back in the playoffs and sort of have the best of both worlds. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen here because we're not doctors and we don't right. know exactly how long it's going to be. But, you know, a lot of times with these athletes, they're elite athletes, right? They recover a little faster than maybe you think. And maybe knees are different. I don't really know. But. It went through my mind when I saw three to four months like, well, that would put us right at the end of the season, potentially for him to get the full repair sure. and still be able to come back yeah. at the very end of the season. Yeah, if you think the Vikings are not going to be done playing in four months, which certainly is a valid argument based on where they've started and based on what the expectations were for this team you're not sitting out the rest of the season if you set up four months. I mean, it's very possible you're back in the middle of the playoffs, and obviously Teddy Bridgewater's injury, Matt Khalil's injury, Adrian Peterson's injury all make this a lot tougher. But Mm -hmm. you could be in a situation where they're still playing, and certainly, yeah, it certainly could be the best of both worlds. It's going to be very fascinating to watch how that all Because he could think if it goes downhill for Bradford and doesn't work, then I didn't risk the rest of my career for us to go 6-10. and Exactly. But – I'm fully repaired back. Hey, look, they're in the playoffs. I'll come help. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is an interesting decision. It, it's, you know, I think one that a lot of people probably weren't expecting him to make in terms of going for the longer repair, but there are a lot of valid reasons to do it. And there are a lot of uh, valid reasons to think that you might've gone a different way with it too. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that all plays out. And, and certainly uh, one of the things that, makes it never a dull moment around here you've you've learned very quickly yeah, what it it's like to be a to vikings beat writer yeah there are people that have been this is my fifth year covering the team there are people who have been doing it longer than me certainly people to cover the 2010 season that will tell you that uh there is never ever a dull moment around winter park yeah in my first day i was thinking either sean hill or mark sanchez were going to be the quarterbacks yes. i'd be watching all year but things yeah, turned Sam out Bradford a little different was than that. not uh, on anybody's radar at that point nor should he have been but that's what the vikings do they keep it interesting and we will certainly continue to chronicle all of the twists and turns of this soap operatic like team to sort of coin a phrase or butcher one or whatever the heck it is i just did we'll be talking a lot more football throughout the year we'll 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 put it that way. We will uh, we'll get back to you with another podcast on Sunday after Vikings-Panthers. Matthew and Judd uh, will be uh, in the studio doing it. I'll probably call in from Bank of America Stadium. Judd will be back with his uh, grinchiest 
takes, I'm sure. He was uh, regrettably unable to join us today. I think he was probably climbing down some kid's chimney and, and taking their Christmas presents. Stealing their roast beast. Yes, I he believe. was probably doing that uh, this afternoon. But he will be back uh, with his heart probably three sizes larger, of course, by Sunday afternoon. And we will uh, we'll talk to you at that point after Vikings-Panthers. Thanks for listening. The sun's going to come up tomorrow. Everything's going to be fine. We will talk to you Sunday. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.